If you want to move, if you want to imagine an exit interview six years from now with one of your A teachers and them saying, I really appreciated all the transparency around the pay, the benefits package, and you hire really great people, will then open the channels of communication. Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized, and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio. And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. Hey, welcome back to the Seven Figure Music School podcast. In this episode, we are talking about figuring out what to pay your teachers. For a multi-teacher school, this is a crucial question. So much is at stake. Uh, and as an owner, if you get this right, you will attract and retain the best teachers. Uh, you will set your school up for financial success. You'll save yourself a lot of anxiety when it comes to having conversations with team members about pay. Uh, you'll save a lot of recruiting time. So there are far-reaching effects for getting this right. So in this episode, let's get it right. And so, Nate, I want to jump right in to start. I have a simple question. Is this even worth the discussion? Why not just look at what other schools are charging? And pay more or less the Uh, same. It is such an important question because there's really literally no more important role that you're going to hire to and try to get the benefits package right with than your teachers. They're the one who's delivering on promise. They're the one who's at the ground with your students, with the families. Um, And just why not just pay what your competitors are paying? Well, actually figuring out the right thing to pay it is part of doing that. You do have to do the research, but you're your own unique organization with your own unique growth potential for teachers and your benefit package, your pay being one aspect of it. It has to reflect your vision for how a teacher can join your community and then grow for, you know, hopefully for years. That is huge. So let me ask, what system does BMF have so, in place? Yeah, for yeah. deciding so teacher pay. Well, I'm going to be totally transparent. We've tested a bunch. Like any good business owner should hopefully be refining consistently, right? Um, so mm. we started out like every other school, just kind of coming up with some version of an hourly um, and just seeing what happened. Basically, people would ask and we'd say, I guess we can afford that. And we'd do it. Um, I remember the moment when I realized, you know what? We can't pay everyone just whatever they want. It was like two or three years into getting you know more more fluent with my financial um, understanding and just with the language of money. And so the system we're using now is what I call a tiered system. So essentially, every new teacher comes in at tier one, and tier one pays um, mm. X amount per hour, and all they have to do is make it through the onboarding thrive through the training, retain their students, et cetera, for the first season. And then by season two, what we call semesters, they immediately get like a 15 to 20% bump in hourly, right? And so we all of a sudden go straight to saying, 
Thank you for all of your investment and time and energy into learning what we do and how we do it and why we do it. And so now here's your hourly. Mm. And then basically they move. We just have three tiers. We have a tier one, we have a tier two, and we have a tier three. Interesting. And by the time you're at tier three, you're like, you know, you're like our, you're a director position. You're like Ben, our private lesson director. Okay. So mm. I have a lot of questions. First off, you have a 24-year-old teacher just out of grad school, and you've got a 45-year-old teacher who has been teaching for 20 years, no longer wants to run their own studio. They just want to mm -hmm. teach. They don't want to have to handle the business thing side of things. Are you saying that you pay them exactly yeah, the same tier one? We just had an interview like that. An amazing woman who had her own voice hmm. studio for a long time. She took a big hit over the last couple of years uh, in enrollment. And she said, you know what? I'm just at a point in my career where I'd love to come uh, work for an energizing community like yours. Um, and so mm. we would, uh, honestly, we would go to her and we might consider a, it, it's not that you automatically start at tier one if we're actually bringing you in, for example, in like a curriculum design director position, which was what we were considering her for. Mm. So she would go all the way to tier three and there's a sort of a tier three monthly salary there. However, in her case, it turned out that that full-time position was not going to be the right fit for her. And so we would have brought her in at tier one. Mm. She's a, she's, you know, if you're a veteran teacher, if you're working with hiring a veteran teacher who really knows um, the business, they understand um, that there is a growth potential for this for their um, wage, and tier one is just literally that first three to five months where you're saying, "Hey, we want to make sure you're happy here, and um, we want to make sure we're happy with you. This is the right fit." So immediately yeah. you get a bump after that. Now. Her bump in the case of a veteran yeah. could be a greater bump. Maybe it's a 25% increase or a 30% increase. But I would, I would encourage everybody to really strongly consider what that kind of onboarding um, hourly is so that it's a win-win for everyone. Mm. I'm going to just share what we have done in the past. We didn't have a different, by the way, I'm not saying my way is right or Nate's way is right. Uh, these are ideas. We had a, um, we had a system in which we had a pay, we had pay for people coming in. Of course, I'm talking more on the mm -hmm. admin side, mm -hmm. not teacher side, because obviously as a school gets bigger, you're going to need that side as well. And so that's where I think I can lend some perspective as well. We figured out our pay scales for various positions. Uh, based on industry averages for those kinds of marketing or administrative or operational positions. So we got our pay scale from that, put that into stone, set that in stone. Um, we did not do a kind of onboarding, we're trying you out type thing. Again, not saying my way is right, not saying Nate's is wrong. We had kind of a 30-day probationary period where people knew that that they were going to be learning the ropes, so to speak, uh, but at the end of 30 days, that was when we would be officially offering them the position. So they knew coming in 
this the job isn't yours yet, actually. For 30 days, we're going to pay you. We're going to train you. And we're going to give you work to do. Here's the things that you're going to be doing when you come in. But it's at the end of those 30 days. Now, a lot of times we really did a good job of selecting the people. There's actually only one time where I let someone go. At the, uh, it was actually even before the 30 days was out. Um, I just hate to say it. They were just making so many mistakes on what I felt were simple jobs that I just knew that this wasn't it. Uh, but I, I don't know. That's a, that's kind of another way to think of that. And and your your tier one, tier two system felt similar to that. I just wanted to give a an an all not an alternative, but another way of thinking of that as well, or something that you could overlap even can on I, top of can that. I drill in for a second and give a couple of details about moving from tier oh, one to yeah. tier two and how we break it out. Um, I'm literally looking yeah. at this GDoc and. Uh, before I say anything, you know, about it in terms of because we're going to get into the weeds uh, for a bit here. Um, it's really hard to imagine that you can uh, build a sustainable um, pay or benefits package for teachers that will keep them around for three to five years, which is what I think a great life cycle is for an awesome teacher. Um without actually building a system that you can look at annually and consider refining, right? In other words, if every time, you and I talk about this all the time, Daniel, but if every time we're making it up, like you come to BMF and you're like, Nate, I want to be your piano teacher. And I'm like, tell me more about you. Okay, how does $42 an hour yes. sound? You know, every time I make, if every time I'm making it up in that conversation, then I don't actually have a system that I can refine that will potentially retain teachers longer and longer in the future, right? And that's the goal here for us, you guys, yeah. is that we, we, we want to build a community of teachers and staff that are, you know, invested in what we're doing and want to be around through the next chapter of growth. This is so, so yes. valuable because a lot of times when we talk about pay, and we talk about building a pay system and understanding this thing, it actually sounds like a thorn in your side as an owner. You're like, ah, I just want teachers to stick around. Can I just pay them whatever they need? And, and like, isn't it da 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 da, right? But in actuality, like every other system that you and I talk about, Daniel, in the business, if you, if you give some of your creative energy to it, then you actually have something that you can build on year after year after year because you're not always going to get it right. <laughs> uh, yes. I don't know why it's taken this many episodes for me to put it in this way, but <laughs> what you just said there, I think people should stop and really think about, especially if they heard that and thought, ooh, interesting. Here's why. Mm. In... I don't even know what field it is. Maybe it's just cognitive psychology or whatever. There's this idea, there's this word called heuristics. Heuristics are mental shortcuts. That's a vast oversimplification. It's what allows communication to happen. There's a shared experience that we all have as humans that allows us to communicate with other humans versus, let's say, a giraffe. Um, culturally, there are shared experiences we have that are conversational heuristics that allow us to have a common experience. This is why there have been plenty of comedy movies made where 
it's kind of the fish out of water. I think of the movie Thor from Marvel. He didn't understand earthly customs. So he comes here and he doesn't understand why people are saying things. He takes all, he takes jokes literally and he doesn't understand the humor because he doesn't know the idioms. Here's my point. What you just said mm. is a heuristic. It's a shortcut so that you don't have to think about it. And at the outset, I said, this will be a way to decrease anxiety and to save mm -hmm. yourself time. Because the amount of time it takes to invent, to make it up as you go along every single time you have a hire, mm -hmm. we're eliminating that. So I, I wanted to highlight that point because on its face, it's helpful to know it. But to understand that there's actually some thinking behind it, you can then begin to apply this concept across a lot of different areas in your school. And this is why we just talk systems so much yeah. on this podcast. So I don't know if you have more to say, Nate, but I have some questions for you, even following up oh, after what you're going to say next. I'm curious. Of the criteria for tiers. Sure. Right? So that people can, you know, this is a good time to take out your notebook too and like grab a couple of notes on this because if you don't yet, I'm literally just looking in our Google Drive at a single G doc called. Um, I even like the title of this Brooklyn Music Factory Compensation Plan 22, sorry, 2022 through 2025. Anywho. Yeah. So just continue yeah, so from where about, you were at. So yeah. We already talked about tier one. This is essentially just a first semester teacher, right? There's a camp rate. There's a day rate. If they work camp, there's a teacher hourly rate and that's it. There are no performance bonuses. Like we have retention bonuses and re-enrollment bonuses. Those don't apply to them yet. Are they eligible for our 401k retirement? Yeah, they all are right out of the gate, right? The reality is you can't enroll in that until the first of the new year anyways. So most of our teachers are starting in September. They're waiting until January anyways, right? Um, there's a couple of other things we do here. We say we have a cell phone plan. Where did I get this idea? I got this idea from my friend who has a great um, swimming school around the corner from us. He's like, teachers just love it. It's like one less headache and it costs you almost nothing, like 30 bucks a month to pay for someone's cell phone. So um, they're not eligible for that yet. There's no paid vacation yet in tier one. Now, then we have tier one A and B. That means they've been teaching for multiple semesters. Oh, interesting. Right. So that's the bump they get. So um, if they're teaching and we basically break it down in this way, and this is interesting. Camp is such an important part of what we do and the financial health of our company and also delivering on our promise being a songwriting program. Our camp is a songwriting camp. So we love it when a teacher says, I both want to teach during the school year, but also be invested in your summer camp. So if a teacher is working both camp and invested during the school year, then their annual raise is like $2 a year versus $1 a year or an X percentage higher, right? Because that's basically just showing hmm. that they're interested in multiple facets of what we do. Now, it's not saying those that can't work camp or don't want to work camp should be um, uh, you know, penalized in some way because there are plenty of people that are like, actually, I'm all in. I'm a great school year teacher. But during the summer, I need to take a break and go re-energize and do something else. That's fine. It's just that we're, we're actually saying if you're going to work camp and you're going to work the school year, then you're going to be eligible for a, 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 to move up a tier more quickly. Um, hopefully that makes some sense. 
The other thing is once basically what we say is once you've moved through X number of semesters teaching. So for us, it's you need to have taught here for six semesters. That's three years. Once that happens, there's another mm. big bump. It's not just an annual incremental raise. You then get a bump, right? So then you go, you get a larger raise at that point and uh, you get things like the cell phone plan, and most importantly, you get um, access to all of our different bonuses. So retention bonus, re-enrollment bonus. These are ways that mm -hmm. teachers can add an extra thousand bucks on at the end of the semester, that kind of thing, which is, it, you know, can be real money. Um, by the way, just for those of you that are jotting down all the notes, you know, our support staff benefits from those re-enrollment and retention bonuses as well, right? So Jessica, who's director of enrollment, you and I have talked about this before, Daniel, uh, they need to benefit when the school has good retention or has good re-enrollment, right? Because the administrative staff are essential to teachers thriving, right? So let me clarify one last thing here, which is that um, really between tier, between, um, tier one and tier two, it's just saying, look, you know, you have... Uh, you are actually in tier two. The last criteria is you're not teaching just one or two days a week. And we get this question all the time, Daniel, which is like, I have a teacher and she's great, but she's only willing to teach one day a week. And the challenge with the one day a week teacher, as all of our listeners know, is that it's really difficult to actually develop a very strong culture fit. And um, it's actually hard for them to inspire other teachers and for other teachers to inspire them because it feels like they're just checking in for a short period of time. So in our tier two, yeah. we, really, we really differentiate. We're like, these are for, um, you know, three to five day a week teachers. And if that makes sense, that's a lot of information, wow. but basically you get the yes. idea. There's criteria of how long they've been here. There's criteria of how many days they're teaching a week and there's criteria of whether or not they're invested in other services you offer, like a camp, that kind of thing. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. That was really thorough. I really th feel like I only have one question with what you're asking here. Earlier on in the podcast, you said, we only have three tiers. And so I thought, oh, everyone in Nate's school is being paid mm. one of three rates. It's either tier one, tier two, tier three. Now I'm hearing you. Now I'm hearing even within the tiers, there's variation. And the tiers are less about the hourly rate they're making. And it's more about the bonuses and the perks and those sorts of things that go along with it. Although there is differentiation, in the hourly rate there as well. And I guess what I would say is that, or, or what I would ask is, um, 
on an annual basis, is everyone who's roughly in the same tier, are you just giving them a cost of living increase or is it cost of living increase plus unique circumstances due to the Great individual question. teacher? I would, I, would, I would say it's cost of living increase. There's always some version of a cost of living increase, 3%, 5%, okay. right around there. But um, I wouldn't frame it the way you did plus. I would say it's plus incentivized bonuses. So basically, you know, okay. let's say I was hired at BMF as a teacher one of the ways that I can make more money is by retaining, um, you know, 50% or 75% or more, sorry, retaining 90% or more of my students over the course of a year. And then re-enrolling, okay. there's, a, there's a bonus for 50% and there's a bonus for 75%. So that adds up, right? So basically, that's how those high-performing teachers can add to their pay. So they can add another $500,000 each season um, through those bonuses. Uh, you know, there's other opportunities, of course, like the really invested teachers might come in and do curriculum design for us as well. So there's more work available to them there. And But essentially, to answer your yes. question, it's a cost of living percentage increase. There's always a raise every year. Remember, Daniel, we've had questions like this pretty regularly from listeners that just write in and say, you know, I haven't raised my rates in four years and I've never given my teachers a raise. What do you guys do? Yes. And I'm like, okay, well, we have a whole episode <laughs> on raising rates, but I think we do anyways. If we don't, we need to make it. Okay, We do. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's episode nine. It's episode okay, nine so or somewhere around Love there. it. So definitely go look at that. But 100% that your team needs to grow with the company. So as you raise your rates, they need to get a percentage of that increase. Um, in addition to they need to know that as the cost of living goes up, that you're going to honor that and give them a raise every year, at least covering that. Well, a lot of times I see this question all the time in many different places. I think the main way that newer schools, but even some really established schools, the way their owner thinks about it is, what percentage of the lesson fees should I be giving to my teachers and what percentage should I be keeping? And there's this heuristic, if you will, there is this way of thinking about it in terms of, okay, the student's paying $150 a month. What percentage should be given to the teacher? I just get the sense that you don't think about it that way. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But before you even give your thoughts on that, as as a general as a general rule what you're paying those teachers is an hourly rate and it is to some degree a percentage of the fees that you're getting from the student what do you think is a good number for a studio owner to think of in terms of how much they should be paying because obviously if you were just to say hey here's what we pay at Brooklyn Music Factory it wouldn't be all that helpful to folks yeah. you're in Brooklyn New York you live in a certain neighborhood. There's a certain geographical and cultural context to what you're paying your teachers. The hourly rate wouldn't be all that helpful. But as a percentage of lesson fees, is there is there a guideline that you would give to a school owner? And what do you think in general about the idea of thinking of it in terms of percentage? Okay, so 
Um, it's a great question. I think, as you know, financial fluency as a business owner is like one of my favorite topics. Um, and I, as you yes. were asking the question, I literally pulled up a profit and loss comparison sheet that um, I made beginning in 2016 that runs through 2021 and basically just shows me what percentage of our entire revenue did we put towards what it, it just says cost of labor, right? So that's a, those are what are called direct expenses. Mm. In other words, if you come take a lesson with me, Daniel, the only way that happens is if I show up to teach the lesson, I'm a direct <sighs> expense to that service, right? So that's the definition of a direct expense. Mm -hmm. Now, what's fascinating is in 2016, 45% of all of our all of the revenue we made went to cost of labor. So another way of looking at that is of every dollar we made, 45 cents went as a direct expense to the teacher. Now, some people listening will be like, wait, so you charge $100 and $45 goes to the teacher. That doesn't seem fair. Or maybe that seems too fair. I don't know what they think. But what I'll tell you is that that's a really incomplete picture um, in terms of what the actual operating cost is for a business. Right? Yeah. And I'll even say... I'm not. I'm not even going to interrupt very long here. I'll even say that there there are a lot of factors at play there. To the uh, even thinking about the fact that a good portion of BMF's revenue is from summer camp income, which is a big group program. Exactly. You have band programs where there are groups. So it. So then I think I would. I want you to continue on this thought, but I would modify my question. Say in terms mm. of private lessons what would that percentage split be? Okay. So I'm going to amend my question, answer the current yeah. one, and then I'd love to hear the, so the answer to that second you, part. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll answer the private lesson income, uh, private lesson cost of labor percentage question first. And then I'm going to complete my answer looking at the company as a whole and the historical perspective. So again, we refine this. I look at this all the time. I literally was working with our accountant yesterday and we were looking at the cost of labor percentage. Right now, we forecast that 30 cents of every dollar goes to uh, private lesson cost of labor. It's actually more like 35 cents because we don't count in the taxes and the benefits. That's on a lower line. So call it 35 cents of every dollar mm. goes to that private lesson teacher coming in. So when I teach, I teach, um, you know, I have like 20 some odd private students. Of every dollar I make for the company, you know, in theory, 35 cents of it is going to cover my hour, right? Um, so mm. okay. that has fluctuated. That's the point of this long-term perspective of looking at the trends in your company because we started out overall as a company at 45%. We pushed hard in 2019 to try to lower that. Um, and you do that. It's not just, and we got it all the way down to 26%. Um, and then it's now back up to around 35%. And our average over the last five years is around 32%. So whenever I'm... Why is this so important? Ba back to the basic question of how much did you pay your teachers, right? <laughs> it's because when you develop a system, you can come up with whatever system works for you. You can you know, steal the BMF pay tier system and create one that's right for your community and whatever the hourly rate should be to start and et cetera. But when you create this system, you're plugging it into the overall operations of your small business. And one line item in it is cost of labor, right? 
And you want to know what that percentage is mm -hmm. so that you can imagine, for example, let's say like me, I've been actually trying to figure out how to lower my administrative cost percentage and raise the teacher cost percentage, right? So, so because I think that that's the right thing to do. I think if you're operating your music school uh, really well and efficiently, then your admin cost should actually should not be the, uh, a higher percentage than your teacher cost, right? It should be lower, and your teacher percentage should go up. Mm -hmm. So, anyways. Write me questions about that. If you want Daniel and I to talk about that, we can talk about it. But the purpose of knowing your percentage is that you can then forecast out. Notice I said the Brooklyn Music Factory compensation model for 2022 through 2025. Right, dude? It's like we, we I don't yeah. want to be thinking about just this year. I don't even want to just think about next year. I want to be imagining what's this company going to look like in three years. Is it going to be healthy financially? I think a lot of people are going to hear that 26% to 45% number and just scratch their heads. Right. Uh, there was a school I worked with hmm, about five years ago where they were paying their private lesson teachers up to 70% of the lesson fees when it, when it, when it all came down to it. And then they had, you know, rent for their commercial location and business insurance and taxes and all that on top of that. And you know, this person's anonymous. I'll just say that they were really considering not just selling their school. They wanted to just shut the school down. They were so stressed about money and operations all the time. Yeah, I can see why. Uh, when 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 you compare those two things, and of course, the point isn't to you know to blame and shame. That isn't the point. The point is just to say that a lot of times, what I see schools spending on cost of labor is more around the 60% mark. That seems to be an average yeah. I've found. I think we could do a whole nother episode, Nate, on how you managed to push that down and what that looks like. And truth be told, we cover that in a lot more depth in you know the mastermind we run yeah. with a lot of different school owners who are working with us right now. But there, I don't know. There might be an episode there where we could just begin to scratch the surface of that. So yeah, you're absolutely right, dude. I have mad empathy for the because I was that person. I was the person who was just automatically paying mm. all of my teachers fifty or sixty dollars an hour to teach, and which was I don't know, you know, probably sixty, seventy, seventy percent of every dollar or something like that when we first started BMF. Um, but I want to clarify one thing. So at Brooklyn Music Factory. Um, there's a direct cost. That's the actual teacher cost in the classroom teaching the lesson, right? When we talk about cost of labor percentage, that's what we're talking about. We also have training days. We also have meetings, department meetings. We also have gigs. Those are all paid. Those are indirect expenses. And so they show up as administrative expenses. Those That's down on the admin line. So it's incorrect for listeners to be like, of every dollar we make from a lesson, the student, I mean, the teacher rather only gets, uh, you know, 32 cents. That's an incorrect takeaway. The correct takeaway is they get 32 mm. cents for every um, dollar as a direct pay for their time in the classroom. But they're also doing other things outside of the classroom that we all pay for. You know, and we look forward to paying that. So at the end of the day, mm. they're getting they're, they have more earning opportunities over the course of a week or a month at Brooklyn Music Factory. And that's by design. Right. So 
So it's, that's an important clarifier for people. And if people are still scratching their heads on it, write Daniel and I, and maybe we'll make it a new episode. Well, we might actually be thinking similarly about this because now that we've dug into the system in some depth, what I would ask you is what has this done for Brooklyn Music Factory? What has this done for you as an owner to have a pay scale system in place, this heuristic, this, this system that does a lot of heavy lifting for you and, and takes constant every day, every month stress off of you. What is this done? What are the benefits that have accrued to Brooklyn Music Factory as a result of this? Obviously, I think there's some that we could just, (laughs) you're going to keep teachers longer when they know that after six semesters, they're going to get these benefits and you're paying them well and and those sorts of things. Like maybe, maybe going beyond the, the obvious of, oh, well, we have great teacher retention. I think we all probably see that, you know, uh, maybe there's some non-obvious things, things that yeah. even surprised you. And of course, if you want to talk about some that are, that are obvious too, you know, I'm fine with that, but let me start. I'm curious what your thoughts are. What I am noticing the benefits are, you know, a lot of time, like Jessica in our company is the one who, right. Who's, who creates the contracts, the offer one sheets and communicates those to the teachers. She sort of, Right now, she is in the role of director of people power. That's our, that's our fancy name for human resources, right? People power. So, yeah. What I've noticed is when there's a simple system that you everybody is referencing, it actually relieves a lot of the the tension internally within your team, right? It makes it easier for her to do her job. I.e., she's just cutting and pasting. You're at tier two. She puts it in the contract. This is what Mm. your raise is going to be effective this date. It makes it really much simpler for her to do her job. But it also makes it easier for us to have those hard conversations around a teacher, for example, who wants to reduce from four days to two days. Like, I mean, we literally just we're 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 doing it right now because it's the beginning. of. I mean, we're in the beginning of a year. We're going through a hiring of a new class of teachers. We have some we have some great teachers. But uh, in one case, um, this woman who's total badass, she needed to reduce from four days to one day because she is the, um, mm. she runs a bluegrass festival. She's awesome. But so it made it easier for us to just go to her and be like, you know what? Like, you're amazing. You know, you're awesome. We love you. And we still need to keep you in this tier. It means you're only going to get a dollar raise this year because you reduced your number of teaching days from four to one. Mm. This allows us to give that teacher who's teaching four days the $2 uh, season raise or whatever it is. Um, so it makes it an easier conversation internally with our, with our returning teachers. It also makes it an easier conversation internally amongst the people power team. Because remember, um, money is a trigger for a lot of people, right? Uh, for, for many people, when it comes to what is someone worth, the only thing we can think to link to it is our dollars. And so then when someone reduces, for example, in the case of this uh, story, from four days to one, it, you know, it's like it, it becomes weird because you're like, well, we shouldn't, you know, we don't want to pay her less. She's amazing. Just because she's only working one, shouldn't she? She's better than this other teacher who's a B player and working three days. Like, da, da, da. And you're like, you don't want to go there. You know, you don't want to have those conversations mm-hmm. unless you're actually refining the whole system for years to come. You want to just be able to move through the season of rehiring, recontracting, 
hiring new teachers, putting them in there, getting them ready, onboarded, trained. You don't want to spend days and days and days debating what the salary or the pay should be Mm. for every single person. Because frankly, Daniel, it's friggin' draining, dude. It's exhausting. And there's so many other awesome parts of the business that we want to work on um, that we don't want to spend so much time there. So I would say internally, that's the thing that probably people don't, um, they won't realize the benefit of that right away. And let's say you're listening and you're only, you're, you know, a single owner with two teachers type of studio. I bet you, you spend a lot of time thinking about the pay. So just imagine relieving Mm. yourself of a lot of that mental chatter, just being like, I'm not going to think about this. I don't need to. And one, yeah. And once again, this is a shortcut, but it's the right Mm. kind of shortcut. And it's this kind of shortcut that makes it possible to scale up. You can't scale up if you're thinking about this all the time. We made this point earlier, but I just want to highlight it again because it's so huge. Anything else, Nate? I know there's probably a lot. (laughs) I think we've touched on a lot. We got in the weeds there with how BMF does it. And hopefully that's beneficial to people. Um, Of course, you know, like anybody can write, ask us more about it. Um, I want to share a story. We just had a teacher who left after being with us for nearly six years. Totally awesome teacher. Had been, had worked their way all the way up to a salaried position, top tier of our pay structure. And in the exit interview, um, we asked, we always ask, I mean, it's really simple questions. It's just like, what do we do really well? What can we improve on? And we just keep asking over and over, tell us more, tell us more. And hopefully they give us a lot of good feedback. And one of the things he said we did really well, which I appreciated, especially coming from this longtime um, teacher, and he was deeply invested in lots of facets, um, was he said, he said two things. He said, Nate, one thing you guys do so well is you hire awesome human beings. He's like, really good people. And how did he know? Well, because he's become really good friends with a lot of them. In fact, he was actually now living in the former um, studio of uh, a previous teacher, you know, and they were still friends. Um, The second thing he said was, Mm. I really appreciated the transparency around getting the role right and the, and the benefit package and the pay correct. And so this is the piece of the puzzle that I think is, is, is just, I want to end with, which is that, you're not doing this in a vacuum, right? You're not creating pay tiers uh, by yourself and just hoping it works. You're asking your teachers what's working. You're asking your teachers if they think it's fair. You're asking your teachers where they'd like to be in three years if we did this pay tier right. You're getting feedback from your teachers because this whole thing is always a communal um, project. If you want to move, if you want to imagine an exit interview six years from now with one of your A teachers and them saying, I really appreciated all the transparency around the pay, the benefits package, and you hire really great people, will then open the channels of communication. You know, if, if, you, if you only have one teacher you feel comfortable mm-hmm. talking to, then just go have a beer with her and be like, hey, 
how do you feel it's going now? And where do you want to be in a few years? Like, what do you imagine would be? I mean, that's literally how we designed the third tier, Daniel. As we just went, I had a teacher who's still hmm. at BMF. Who's ama- I mean, he's super energizing to me to work with. And he just said, you know what, dude? I just, I want a salaried position. I don't want to, I don't want to guess what my check's going to be every month. And here's where it needs to start at for me to feel really committed. And that was like five years ago or six. I don't even know how many years ago. A long time ago. And he's still here. And and he has a designed um, growth path. Anywho, transparency is key in this. It's a real benefit. And it, it will make you feel um, or it has the potential of making you feel so much more comfortable when it comes time to talk about what the pay is. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, Would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.